This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our Torah Anytime viewers. So tonight we are learning Le'ilui Nishmat Avraham ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechaskel ben Avraham. So when we go through life in general, um, life is uh, very common, has its ups and downs. Now, people have different interpretations on what's the ups and what's a down call, but what we're going to use the terminology is the downs as life's tests. So we are aware that life is full of tests, and there are many reasons why we have this test, but a big part of it is because this is our tafkid, this is our purpose in being in this world. And, and many times it could be from a previous reincarnation. So for example, if let's say somebody had a temptation in a previous life to eat uh, non-kosher food. So when they come to this world, uh, uh, you know, the, fine, the, the time where they are right now, they'll have a stronger temptation for that non-kosher food. Um, and it could be the same thing with, let's say, someone died with a character trait of stinginess or anger or modesty issues or constantly speaking Lashon Aram. So the way that it works is when they come back again, they're going to come back with that same test in order to correct their problem. So many times we have these certain tests that come up in our life. Let's say, let's say it's an anger issue. So suddenly someone gets, you know, angry. It's like, oh, this is another of life's tests. But why is God making me so angry? And the answer is, is that this is your purpose in your life, or at least one of them is that you have to go and overcome it. Now, that being said, we do have the ability to reduce our, uh, let's call it the desires or increase those desires. So let's say somebody has a desire for food. That person's a big foodie and they have a very hard time with kosher food and non-kosher food and uh, with proper, you know, hechsharim and all these different aspects food related. So if a person goes and works on themselves and helps themselves grow in that area, then over time that will reduce those desires. But if somebody indulges in those desires, then they uh, they sort of increase their desire for it. And this is very common in the immoral, uh, let's say, the desires of immorality, of, of things that are, um, you know, either it's nude related or either, um, you know, from the from the men's perspective on guarding your eyes, different areas in that in that specific test is very, very common that if you don't hold yourself back, then it gets more difficult and more difficult and more difficult and more difficult. However, if you start holding yourself back, initially, it's going to be hard. But over time, it gets easier and easier. So you have the ability to change your tests, so to speak. Now, when people come to this world, so they have, let's say, a list of tests that they have to accomplish, pass, you know, uh, get over, and then they finish their tafkid, they finish their purpose in this world. And in many times, the longevity, the lifespan of a person depends on those tasks. So, you know, a person could go and could have a very small tikkun. And there was a story once with Arizal. Arizal was a sandak at a brit milah. And right after the circumcision, right after the brit milah, the baby died. And the the family were crying and wailing and like 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 almost like animals. They were they they were beside themselves. And the Arizal goes over and says, "You know why do you cry? Why do you cry? You should know that you know who this baby was. This baby was none other than Rav Yosef Karo. 
Rav Yosef Kara, what happened was, the reason I'll explain, is that when he was born, he has, he was born with a little bit of, of jaundice. This is a, a certain, um, you know, yellowish tinge to the baby. And when a baby is born that way, they cannot do the Brit Milah. They cannot do the circumcision until the bilirubin goes up and they have the ability to do the circumcision. And one of the common, you know, uh, things that you see from it is like this yellowish or like this tanned look of a baby. So, he was born in this way and they had to wait. They couldn't do the Brit Milah. So because they delayed it and the mitzvah is on the eighth day, God gave him the opportunity because he was such a holy person. He gave him the opportunity to correct everything. And what happened? He, all he needed to correct was just to come down and have a Brit Milah on the eighth day. And he came down the eighth day, his tikkun was finished, his tafkid, his mission in life was completed. And then he was able to go on to the next world and he passed away. So there are many people that have small tests. There are many people that have big tests. And I have, you know, when, when I speak about this, I have usually people that come and tell me, be like, you know, Rabbi, this is this is the proof and point that we shouldn't be too good. Because if we're too good, we'll shorten our lifespan. And then we'll die early. But if we're, you know, like we do the stuff that we need to do slowly, then God will give us more time. And the answer is it doesn't work that way. That, you know, you think that if you push and you push and you push, you'll have time, you'll have time. The, the, the Chazal tells us, the Gemara tells us, the Pekeva tells us, that a person thinks that when is he going to learn? He's going to learn tomorrow. He's going to learn then. He's going to fix his character traits then. Before you know it, it's, it's you know, the end of the, you know, the end of the game and there's no longer a chance for you to work on anything. So we don't push anything off. We don't say, oh, this will give us a longer life. In fact, there are many things that there are certain sins, let's say, that you could do that you could shorten in your life. And there are certain mitzvot that you could do that you could lengthen your life. So even though a big part of the reason of how long you're living is because of your mission in this world, you still have the ability either to shorten it or to lengthen it based off spiritual uh, properties. However, it's also on physical. If the, the Torah tells us, we have to go and we have to take care of our bodies. If someone doesn't take care of their body and because of that they get sick and they die early, that is very possible that that could be their fault as well. The Pasuk in Eyov, chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Ki adam la'amal yulad. A person is created for work. People like, you know, not people, it's, it's human nature. We love to rest. Generally, generally, we love to rest. We love to relax. However, our job in this world is not to relax. Our job in this world is to be able to go on and continue to work and continue to grow in everything that we have the ability to do. And every single day gives us countless opportunities for us to grow, both in our personal lives and our spiritual lives in all aspects. You look at Avraham Avinu. Avraham, he spent his first 75 years of his life Spreading the word of God, doing, you know, he was a, he was like literally like when you learn, learn the stories of the story that Avraham growing up, since he was little, he was destroying idol worship, he was spreading the word of God, and you think at 75 years old, okay, that's like past retirement. 65 is retirement, he's 10 years past retirement, you think, okay, now it's gonna be smooth sailing. But you know what? Then at 75, that's when his life's tests were actually, you know, beginning. That's when God decided to go and give him those 10 tests. So the question that is asked, is understand, this is Avraham Avinu, he's 75 years old. He's giving 75 years already of his life to God. Didn't he prove his loyalty to God yet? Didn't God say, okay, this is a tzaddik? This already, we know that it's a tzaddik. The answer is, as long as there's life, there is opportunity for growth. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter goes and says that uh, one time he was passing this home of this cobbler. He was working late at night, banging nails, making noise, and Rabbi Yisrael Salanter goes and, and knocks on the door and says, why are you working so late? It's so late in the night, go to sleep. And the, this cobbler goes and, and responds and he says, as long as the candle is burning, as long as st- there's still light, there's still time to make repairs. And if Saul Salatu took this as a Musah HaSkel, he, he went and he said, you know what? As long as light still burns, as long as a person is still alive, 
he still can make repairs and improve himself. Rav Eliyahu Lapian, he served as a Rosh Yeshiva in Yeshiva Etz Chaim in London. His, his goal, his focus, he always wanted to go to, to make his home in Eretz Yisrael. And in the year 1950, at the age of 78 years old, he moved to Eretz Yisrael. And the Chazanish went and encouraged him that he has to go and continue spreading the Torah, continue going and teaching classes and, and, and spreading the Torah to the masses of the Jewish people, just as he has done in England. And he decided he's going to continue. And he accepted a new position over there, and he taught until he passed away at the age of 95. And from those years, from the, from the years like in the early 80s to his mid-90s, he gave a lot of shiurim, and there he, they, they sort of, he put together a sefer called Lev Eliyahu, which is used worldwide by tens of thousands of people. But where did this come from? This came from the years of when he thought he was like, okay, fine, now I could go and learn by myself and sort of speak to retire. And he decided, you know what, no, let me continue going. Let me continue explaining the Torah. His life work came after the, after when he thought he was going to retire. Why? Because as long as there's life, there's opportunity. We have to go and capitalize on our opportunities. Opportunities, are a different form, a different, you know, vernacular we could use a different, uh, a different lashon, a different, uh, language of tests. Tests are opportunities in our lives. Avraham, Avinu, waited a hundred years to have a son. A hundred years he waited to have a son. And finally a son was born to him in this miraculous way. And now finally he has this son. And what does God tell him? God tells him, now you have to sacrifice your son. Now, if this is not a test enough, the big, the, the, I can't say it's a bigger test, but the, the part that makes the test so much more difficult is the fact that he had, he, his focus, his goal in life was, he was fighting against Avodah Zarah. He was fighting against idolatry. But what particular part of idolatry? The one that the prominent manifestation of, of this idolatry was to sacrifice. Sacrifice humans to this idolatry. This idolatry was known as Molech. Where humans would sacrifice other humans for this idolatry. And Avraham Avinu would go and say, this is not what God wants. What are you kidding me? God wants you to sacrifice your children, to sacrifice your family, to sacrifice your friends. This is not, this is not worshiping God. Now God tells him, you know what your test is going to be? Your test is going to be that you're going to go and sacrifice your son. Meaning that his whole life mission, everything that he worked for in his life for God is now being tested. We can't even begin to imagine that we know the end of the story. So it's like, okay, fine. So he passed the test, you know, big deal. But when you think of it, at that point in time, he thought that he would need to go and sacrifice his son to God. And his entire life purpose just went down the drain. You're talking about well over 130 years, about 137 years to be exact. He was 137 years old. He was going to go and give up everything. Imagine after 137 years of Avraham Avinu going and saying, hey, by the way, God doesn't want you to do this. And then he does it. Then nobody's going to believe him. Like he's going to be a laughingstock. It's, it's, it's somebody that, that you can't trust anymore. Yet, Avraham, he did not ask any questions. He did not abandon his faith. He says, you know what? If this is what Judaism is, I want nothing to do it. No. He woke up early in the morning. He took his son Yitzchak. He took the, he saddled his own donkey. He took a, the, took the, the slaughtering knife and he went on his way. And this is, this is the tests of life. Life is, Mesilat Yashrim goes and says, all affairs of the world, whether it's good, whether it's bad, it's for a test for a person. And it says in Tehillim chapter 11 verse 5, it says, Hashem Tzadik Yifchan. Hashem tests a Tzadik. And you should know something very important, that God does not raise a person up to greatness until he tries and tests him first. You look at Avraham Avinu. Avraham had these 10 big tests, 10 huge tests. 
tests that, that we cannot even comprehend. And he passed them. And you know what the Torah tells us, the Basuk tells us after he passed the test? The Basuk in Bereshit in Genesis, chapter 24, 24 verse 1, it says, And God blessed Abraham with everything. When did this come? After his test. That's when God went and blessed Abraham. And you look at this, you look at Yitzhak, you look at Yaakov, you know, they all had these tests and then they got this, the tremendous amount of success. You look at another famous example is Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef was tested with Eshes Potiphar. She, he was tested with the wife of Potiphar. And not only that, he was tested and he passed the test, but then he spent 12 years in prison for doing something right. That was also part of his test. And after that, after he passed his test, what happened? He became second to the king for the rest of his life. You see this also in the Shevet Levi, in the tribe of Levi. When the tribe of Levi, they endured in Egypt so much self-sacrifice. Entire Jewish nation, they sort of, you know, for a big part, stopped following the Torah. They started doing Brit Milah. They, you know, they unfortunately went and worshipped in the, in the eagle, in the golden calf. The Shevet Levim, they continue learning. They continue doing Brit Milah. And they didn't worship the golden calf. And what happened after all these tests? That's when God decided He's going to choose them to serve Him in the Bet HaMikdash. Chazal tell us that the whole success of a person depends upon his passing his test. Now, when we look at a person and we decide this person is successful and this person is not successful, it's not really a good, um, you know, you, you can't really use that as a, as a uh, you know, let's say barometer, a measurement of success. Why? Because you don't know what the test of that person was. You have sometimes a person that looks like he's not so uh, maybe the most religious person or maybe the most successful person. But up in heaven, he is going to be one of the highest things. Why? Because he came from a very low level. He had to go and fight so many things. He had so many difficult tests and he passed all of them and he went to the highest level that he possibly could have. Then you look at a big tzaddik, a big tamid chacham, or a big whatever it is. And yes, he's going to get rewarded. But you know what? He didn't really pass so much of a test. So who is considered greater? The person who passed the success is what defines your greatness. In 1921, Rabbi Yisrael Perlau, he was the Stoliner Rebbe. He became sick. And because of his health issues, he had to leave his community in Stalin. And he had to go visit the hot springs in Germany. And he kept on making these visits until, you know, unfortunately the day came and he returned his soul to his maker and he passed away in Germany. Now the German law back then, they required the postponement of burial. You couldn't go and bury the person right after the person dies. You have to wait a minimum of 48 hours before the person gets buried. The reason for that was, is that were several incidents where people died, passed away. And they were in the burial, you know, process. They were actually like, you know, taking the dirt and shoveling on top of the coffin. And all of a sudden, the guy wakes out and comes out of the coffin. And this happened numerous times, sort of like a person was like dead, medically speaking, back then. And then somehow he came back to life. And the government didn't know what to do with the situation. They decided they're passing a law that from now on, you can't bury a person until you wait 48 hours. You have to wait. And once you have that 48 hours and they still didn't wake up, Talk about, this is 1921, it wasn't that long ago, and this is unfortunately what they had to use, utilize to figure out to make sure a person's really dead. After those 48 hours, then you're able to go, and then you're able to go and, and bury this person. So the rab, the Rebbe over here, the Stalin Rebbe, he passed away, and then now the German law was that you have to wait 48 hours. But the halakha is that you're not supposed to delay burial, you're supposed to go to the, to, to put them into burial immediately, right after a person passes away, that's when you're supposed to go and bury the person. So they didn't know what to do. So they went to the Chavak and say, listen, you know, the Halakha, we have to, this is the big rabbi. You can't, we can't just leave, leave him here for 48 hours. The Chavak went and said, listen, 
we can't get involved. It's too risky for us. You know what would happen if the Germans catch us and they see that we're going and we're not listening to the law? They're not going to let us. You know, right now we have our own section in the cemetery. We have our own cemeteries even where we bury Jewish people. If we're going to go and start avoiding this law, this could cause tremendous amount of problems for the Jewish community over here. It can go and it could prevent us from burying in the Jewish cemetery. They may make us go and bury in the non-Jewish cemetery. So they said, I'm sorry. With the biggest respect we have to this rabbi, we can't risk that. But the Chavar said, listen, you're guests. You're not part of you know, the rules over here. You're not so familiar. You go do whatever it is that you need to do, and we won't say anything. And if they come to us, we say, listen, they're guests. We, we didn't know any, any better. We didn't know that they were even here. So they decided that that's what they're going to do. They're going to go and they're going to bury the Rebbe earlier. The problem was is that the Rebbe passed away in the hospital. And now they have to take his body out of the hospital. So how are they going to sneak a dead body out of the hospital? So they had a few chassidim that came. It was two, two specifically chassidim that came. And they brought winter clothes, maybe sunglasses, hats. And they dressed the Rebbe up as if he was, you know, was really cold outside. He's dressed the Rebbe up as if he's going outside. And they put one hand on, on one side and the other hand on the other person. And sort of as if they were holding the Rebbe and the Rebbe was walking with them. And this is how they dragged the Rebbe outside of the hospital. And once they dragged out of the hospital, that's step one. But now their question was, how are they going to get a burial spot? How are they going to be able to go? They can't purchase anything. So there was a certain family of German Jews by the name of Zulishinskis. And they had a family plot. And they decided they're going to give the honor for the rabbi. They're going to give him the family plot. And not only that, they will also give a plot right next to the rabbi. That it will be as a chutz, there's a very big thing, it could be buried next to holy people. So there's going to be a very big zechut, they're giving it to the chassidim, and they could choose who they want to be buried next to this great rebbe. So they bury the rebbe over there, and now they're going to have to figure out who is going to be buried, who's going to get the great zechut to be buried next to this rebbe. So the person they decided was a certain person who lived in Frankfurt. And this person... He uh, was a very righteous man. He never learned the trade. He never learned the panasai. He never learned the business to, to make money. But what, where did he get his money to survive? He was an amazing chess player. He had this concentration that when he's playing chess, the world is closed to him. There's nothing else in the world that matters other than his chess match. And he's sitting over there, and when he focuses, that's it. He, he, he was so good that every move that you make, he's already 15 moves ahead of you. That's how much he was like, you know, the zone. And what he did was, is that he would play in, tor- in tournaments. And this is how he would make it. It would be a little cash prize over here, a little cash prize over here. And this is how he would modestly go and feed his family. Time goes by and he has this particular chess uh, championship match. And the stakes were very high. And the match started in the early afternoon. And he was thinking... You know, should I daven mincha beforehand or should I daven mincha afterwards? He said, you know what, there's so many hours, there's several hours hours until nightfall, I'll have time to, pr- to pray after the match. So he decided to wait until after the, the game. They start the match and the match was so heated, he, he was completely in the zone, he completely forgot about the entire world. Hours go by, finally he finishes the chess match and he looks up and he sees it's pitch black. And he realizes that he just, he, he missed praying mincha. He was so heartbroken that he missed praying Mincha at the right time that he started thinking, he's like, where's his priorities? This is his panasa, and he's giving up Mincha for some money, for, for a chess match, and he decided he right there, and then there he made a vow, he made a neda never to play chess again. And when the rabbi 
of the of the area of the community heard that he made this vow. The rabbi goes over to him and says, "You know, let me absolve you from this vow." He says, "This is how you make this is how you make your panasa." He says, "If you would if you would have known that this you know what your situation was, you wouldn't have gone and and give this up." He says, "Let me absolve it so you could go and you could continue playing." And this chess master says, "Absolutely not." He says, "What value is anything if I give uh, give up my spirituality? What good is panasa if I forget even one mitzvah?" He goes and he says, better to suffer a life of poverty than carry on playing chess. And from then on, he didn't play chess anymore. And the Hasidim, they decided that this, this Hasid, this Jew, this is the one that's going to be buried next to their beloved Rebbe. You know, because when we have tests in our lives, it brings out your priorities. It shows you what you hold important. When you're about to go and you get tested in business. So the question is, are you going to be honest? Are you going to follow the Torah? Or are you going to go and you're going to be like, you know what? I can make an extra thousand here, an extra ten thousand here. I can do something over here. You start moving things around. It shows our priorities. If somebody, God forbid, let's say he has a, you know, coffee spilled on them. The, what, how careful people are in their clothing nowadays. Coffee spilled on them is, you know, they have to almost, the whole, not only the whole day, their, their week is ruined. How are you going to react? Are you going to blow up? And get angry and be like, what do you, I can't believe it. Whether it's your fault or somebody else's fault. Or you realize that this is your opportunity for growth. This is, you have the opportunity to realize also, what are your priorities? If someone gets so upset when they get a little stain, that shows what's their priorities. Priorities are their clothing. If somebody goes and gets a little angry when they have a little scratch on their car, it shows that the priorities is the car. And that's what their, their, you know, their life is. So it shows us what we are. But what also happens is that when people get tests in life, they start getting upset at God. Be like, God, why are you doing this to me? There was once an older man who had a very faithful donkey. And he was a farmer and he retired. Now he, had, he kept his, still his, his donkey. One day he, had, he realizes that his donkey fell into the well in the back of his yard. And the well was very deep and he was an old man. And he couldn't bring the donkey, you know, he couldn't pick the donkey back up. And he was thinking what he was going to do. The donkey was also stuck in a small, you know, uh, you know, enclosed, you know, uh, area. And he also wanted to get up, but he couldn't, you know, there was nothing that he could be do. So all of a sudden, the owner, what he decided was, he took his shovel and he started shoveling and he started throwing dirt on the donkey. And the donkey kept on hitting, you know, getting hit with the dirt. And and he was thinking, he's like, what is my owner doing to me? He's like, I was so faithful to him. Why is he, you know, every piece of dirt like stung like a needle. And the owner kept on putting more and more dirt, and the donkey sees that the dirt is coming higher and higher. And the donkey thinks, if I don't do something, I'm, he's going to bury me alive, my owner. So he realized that as the floor is getting higher and higher, he said, you know what, instead of standing where he was, he moved his feet a little bit, and he stood on top of the dirt. And every time that the owner threw more dirt on him, he shook it off his back, and then he went and he took another step higher on top of the dirt. And slowly, slowly, the owner did this until the donkey was able to walk all the way out. In life, we get challenges. And sometimes we get upset. We're like, God, why are you doing this to me? And sometimes they're very painful. And we feel betrayed. We feel like, you know, like hurt. But all God's doing is like, listen, I'm saving you. All you need to do is shake off that little test and step on top of it. We have tests of, let's say, panasa, tests of shiduchim. People go on shiduchim, they can't get married. And be like, how many do I have to go on? You know, you have a test of, let's say, somebody goes and hires an employee. And then he teaches him all the business. And then his employee goes and starts his new business. He says, you know how hurtful that is, that test that you have? A test of, let's say, of parents that have numerous children that are waiting to get married and there's not one marriage. They don't even get a shiduch. There's such tests. Be like, God, why are you doing this to us? 
And God's saying, I'm giving you the opportunity to grow. All you need to do is, yes, it feels like a thousand needles are stinging on your back, just like that donkey felt, those dirt falling onto his back. But we need to do is we need to shake that off, and then we need to step up and get a little bit higher because of those tests. And in life, when we get these challenges, it can be very difficult. Sometimes the reasons could be due to a kapara, an atonement. Other times it could bring us closer to God. Other times it could be, a, you know, this is the purpose of this person being in this world. And sometimes, it's very important to think about this, sometimes it's that extra merit that a person needs. Because God loves us, each and every single one of us, so much, and He wants to give us everything, everything that we want and more. But the problem is that sometimes we don't have enough schuyot, we don't have enough merits. So what God does is God gives us a test. And when we pass that test, all of a sudden we gain that merit. And you should know, by the way, responding to challenges with emunah is an enormous zechut. It's an enormous merit that we could have. So the next time, again, we're not asking for tests. We don't want tests, but if tests come your way, the next time that tests come your way, you stop for a second. You think, you know what? Maybe God is doing this to me because He wants me to win the lottery. Maybe God's doing this because He wants me to close a big deal. Maybe God is giving me this test. You know why? Because I'm going to find my zivug the next time. Or I'm going to have a child. Or I'm going to have a health, you know, my health issues are going to be, you know, resolved. There's so many things that we want in our life. And if we stop for a second and realize, you know what, maybe God is doing this to give us that extra merit. Our tests are going to be so much easier to accomplish, so much easier to overcome, and so much easier to gain that extra merit. There was once an older woman. David Asher brings us down, the story. There was an older woman who had many children, many grandchildren. And at one brit milah, her grandchild, she was shedding tears of like joy. And someone went over to her and be like, you know, you have a lot of kids. You know, I understand it's joyful. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. You have a grandchild, Baruch Hashem. But you have like, you know, 30, 40 grandchildren. You know, like, so you have another one. It's amazing, but like, to shed tears of joy. So this woman says, says, you don't understand. She says, about a year ago, I had a younger sister. And this sister was marrying off her daughter. So my husband and I, we went and we participated in the Sheva Bachot. And they asked my husband to go and give a Dvatwa, a speech in the Sheva Bachot. So the husband went, and as customary, you know, you start off with some jokes and, uh, you know, say a few things about the, uh, you know, about the chatan, say a few things about the kala. And for whatever reason, the family of the other side did not take well to those jokes. And they responded with some very, very hurtful and embarrassing words in public. And this is the woman, this grandmother saying, said, when, when they said that, I was burning in anger. Oh, I was so upset, so hurtful. And not only that, Throughout the entire Shabbat, not a single person came over to apologize because they humiliated and embarrassed my husband in public. And after that, she said, after the Shabbat, I went and I called my sister and I said, you should know that I do not forgive your in-laws. I do not forgive the, you know, the situation that happened. And by the way, this is what the sister said. If they have a baby boy this year, I'm not coming to the Bik Milah. He says, I don't want to see them ever again in my life. You, after they embarrassed my husband publicly, and they didn't, they didn't have the audacity to even to apologize. So the sister goes over to the, you know, to the grandma, to the other sister, and says, listen. She says, you know, I understand this is a very big test. But you have to think of that. It wasn't them. They were messengers of God. God wanted your husband, whatever, to get that embarrassment. They were just messengers. He says, what? you have to go and rise above it. Forgive them. Let it go. It's not going to help you to, to, to bear that anger inside. And you never know. This could be a big test for you. And with this test could be a tremendous ethratzon. Uh, it could be a tremendous uh, you know, uh, merit that you could get something that you don't have yet. 
And those words hit her very hard because she had a son that was older and was not yet married. So she decided that, you know what? She's going to work on it and she's going to forgive them. Forgive them fully. And she worked on it for hours. She was concentrating, she was focused. She said, you know what? I'm going to forgive them fully. And she forgave them and she called up her sister and she said, by the way, you should know that if you're, you know, the new couple, they're going to have a baby boy, I am going to come to the beat. And then she goes and she says, it was a year later. And now we're at the Brit Milah of my own grandson. My own grandson who was a, a, a few months, not even a few months, I'm sorry, a few weeks after this event happened, my son found his Shidduch. And shortly after that, his wife got pregnant and now I'm sitting at the Brit Milah of my grandchild. Because challenges gives us an opportunity to earn more merits. And if you stop for a second, and if you could think about this, it's very hard during the test. But if you can realize that when you have a test, this is an opportunity for you to gain tremendous amount of merits. You have so much of a heads uh, of a head start to be able to go and pass that test. In fact, sometimes those tests are easy. It makes it easier when the second that you want to blow up or you want to, you know, do something that you shouldn't do, and you'd be like, you know what? Wait, maybe this is a test. Let me overcome it. And right when you overcome a test, you could go and pray and ask for everything that you want or anything that you want. The Mishirat Yishrim goes and says that there's two things that bring a person closer to God. And one is saying Tilim, and the other is hearing stories about Sadiqim. And Rabbi Lezer Parkov goes down and brings down this amazing story. There was a famous Rabbi, the Rabbi of Melch of Lezinsk. And he was the student of the Rabbi, the Rabbi Rabdov Ber of Mizrich, and who was the disciple of the Baal Shantov. So he's talking about he's the third in line from the Baal Shantov. This Rabbi Melamelech, he had a Bet Midash, and he had people called Yoshvim. These Yoshvim are people who sat by him, learned in his Yishva, and he supported them. He gave them on a weekly stipend that they would be able to support the family, and they spent the entire week with the Rabbi. They were learning, they were praying, they focused on their spirituality, and at the end of the week, the Rebbe gives them some money, they go home for Shabbat, they give it to the wife, and that's enough to support the family. There was one particular Yoshev, there's one particular you know, student, that he would be sitting and learning every week, and every week he would go, and he would get six rubles. One week, the Rebbe goes out, gives out all the envelopes, and he gets the envelopes, goes home to his wife, hands her the envelope, and she opens up the envelope, and she sees there's only four rubles. And she goes and she says, where's the remaining two rubles? He says... You know, I don't know. This is what the rabbi gave me. I gave it straight to you. And he, you know, they were talking about like, you know, the rabbi is such a holy man. He's not going to make a mistake. He says, you know, maybe there's a reason that he only gave you four instead of six. So this tzaddik, he says, you know, maybe, maybe I need to do tshuva. Maybe the rabbi saw something in me and now that's why he's paying, paying me less. So he decided that entire week, he went and he started going and doing tshuva. He was focusing on, on all his character traits, focusing on any sin that he may have done and he did full tshuva. The next Friday, he gets, the Rebbe is giving out all the money. He gets the envelope. He opens it up and he sees instead of six rubles, now there's only two rubles. Last week it was four. Now it's down to two. He's like, he's going, he's like, what, what's happening? He says, maybe the Rebbe saw something else in me. He went and the entire week again, he went and he did tshuva. The following Friday, the Rebbe goes and gives him another envelope. He goes home. He opens up the envelope. It's empty. Now he's beside himself. He says, what, what am I supposed to do? And one of the things that were very particular about the, you know, the Hasidim is that they were very close with their, you know, their friends. They did everything that they could for their friends. So he goes over to his friends in the, in the yeshiva and says, you know, I don't know what happened. Look, the Rebbe, you know, he gave me, he used to give me six rubles. Now I'm getting nothing. 
must be that I'm doing something wrong. And by the way, if you think about this for a second, what would happen if somebody would go and, you know, nowadays I'm supposed to get a certain amount of money and they didn't get amount, they didn't get what they were, let's say, owed. They would go right away to the administration. Hey, what are you doing? You owe me six. You gave me only four. You gave me two. A tzaddik doesn't say a word. He says, oh, okay, there must be something in my, you know, chisawan, in my deficiencies that that's why I got this. So he goes over to his friends and his friends are like, there must be a reason for this. And they're talking amongst themselves and says, you know what? Maybe the Rebbe is giving you a sign that you maybe need to go out for business. You need to go out to work. And the Hasidim, they were so close together that they went, all the, all the Hasidim in the Yeshiva, they went and they put together whatever little money that they had and they put together 200 rubles. And they went over to this person and says, listen, take this money and start a business. You'll go buy stuff that is cheap over here. Take a boat. Move it, go to a different, uh, you know, area and sell that for a little bit more and then do vice versa on the way back. Go and buy, a, you know, cheap product over there and sell it over here for more money. You do this two, three times a year, you'll have enough panasa for the year and then you can continue learning and davening and focusing, you know, with, on your spiritual growth. Not having any other option. He took the money and he decided that's what he's going to do. He went and he found certain merchandise that's going to be cheap over here and he'd be able to sell it more expensive over there. And he bought it and he boarded a ship. As the ship was traveling, as there was custom, they, when they had little islands, the ship would dock and the people would be able to walk, stretch their legs a little bit, get like a, you know, two hour intermission, and then they would be able to continue on. So they come up to this island, the captain says, you guys have two hours, and then we're heading out. He goes out, he takes his little tailim, he leaves everything on the boat, and he starts walking around, he finds a nice, shady little area, and he decided, you know, now he's going to say tailim. He feels rejected, he feels like, you know, he can't learn anymore, he can't, you know, pray like, like he used to, now he has to work. So he decided he's going to open his heart out to God, and he was completely enveloped in his tailim. He was crying, he was praying, and the two hours came, and people started boarding the ship, and the ship rang the bell. This guy was completely, invo- he was far away, he didn't even hear it. He was completely engrossed in his daily. And even one of the people on the boat says, listen, the Jew is no longer here. The captain says, listen, how much could I wait? What can we do? We'll get him on the way back. We, uh, you know, we have to leave. And they take off. And as they take off, they make it about two, 300 feet into the ocean. All of a sudden, the guy realizes, he says, wait a minute, where is everybody? He calls his tilim, he starts running back to the ship. He sees the ship is like three, four hundred feet already away. And he starts screaming, but it's too far, no one hears him. And he can't even swim out there. So not knowing what else to do, he goes back and tries to figure out, what am I going to do? He's on this island where there is no other humans on it. He says, how long do I have to wait over here? He goes and he starts you know, going around. He starts looking for food. He's looking for water. And slowly, slowly, nighttime comes. He doesn't find no food, no water, no nothing. And he's thirsty, he's parched. He has nothing else to do. Nighttime comes and he falls asleep. In the morning, he wakes up and his mouth is like sticking to him. He's so thirsty. He's so parched. And he realizes it's, it's very hot on this island. And if he doesn't find water soon, he's not going to make it. And he's going and he's, and he's going up and down. He's running all over the island to find some sort of source of drinking water. And as much as he can, he can't find it. It's getting close towards the end of the day. And he feels like he's going to pass out. He's not going to make it. And then suddenly he gets upon this hill and he sees at the bottom of the hill, he sees what looks like water, clear, clear water, drinking water. And he gets, he gets so ecstatic. He gets so happy that he doesn't, he starts running down this hill, but he runs so fast that he starts rolling and he doesn't any care. He just keeps on jumping and rolling. He's hitting branches and rocks. He doesn't care. He just wants to get to the water. He hits the water face first. He's sitting over there and he takes that first gulp of water and he's drinking and then suddenly he hits him and he says, wait a minute. He says, I'm a student of Rabbi Melech Milizhinsk. 
He says, how could I go and drink water without making a bracha first? And he takes whatever strength that he has left. He stops drinking. He concentrates with tremendous kavanah. And he makes a bracha shahakol like he's never made before in his life. And then he drinks and he refreshes himself and he washes himself. And then he makes a, you know, with tremendous kavanah, the boy nefashot. And after he finishes, he finds something to sustain himself, and he sees a little bit of fruit over there near this, near this little stream, and there he sort of lives for the next few days. After a few days go by, suddenly he hears a ship coming, and he runs, he runs back to the ship, and he sees it's his same ship that, he, that left him there. And he runs back, he boards it right away, and everybody's sitting over there, and they start laughing at him. He went and he traveled, he bought round trip to be able to go there to a certain area for a day, and then come back. Here he has all his merchandise that he came. He went with, he went there and now he came back. He wasn't able to make any sale. He wasn't able to make any money. He accomplished basically nothing. What else could he do? He made his way back to his hometown. The ship docks at his hometown. He takes off his merchandise, not knowing what to do. He goes to speak to his friends. So his friend says, listen, you've got to go speak to the Rebbe. He says, like, you know, you went over here. This is already like weird stuff going on over here. Go speak to the Rebbe. He goes to the Rebbe. And before he's even able to open his mouth to say anything, the Rebbe Lamelech goes and he answers and he says, he goes to him and he says, you should know that the island that you just came from, there were two Gilgulgim, there were two Nishamot, there were two souls over there that went astray. And they were, they went so far off when they were alive that they were not even able to go into Gehenom. They were not able to go into, into, into hell. And they needed a certain tikkun. And because you are related to them, you are the only one who can bring them that rectification. Nobody else could have done it except for you. And this is the reason that you have to travel to that island. And he says, now that you accomplished the tikkun for those two relatives of yours, that now they are able to go and get into Gehenom, now you could go and you could become a Yoshev again, you could come learn in, the, in my, you know, in the suit, and I'll pay you your full, your full stipend. And that's the story. But the question that I had is that why didn't the Rebbe just tell him? He said, hey, listen, why don't you go? You're going to go travel. You're going to go into a certain island. Make sure you make a bracha. And the answer is very important. You know, many people think, you know, if only I had somebody with Ruach HaKodesh to go and tell me what to do, then I know what I'll have to do. And the beautiful answer, I may say so myself, is that God directs you to what you need to do. Yes, it would be easier if somebody would tell us, hey, by the way, this is a test and this is how you're going to pass, and you, this is what you need to do. But you should also realize and know that if God put you in a certain scenario, a certain situation, that is your test. That everything that we have is our test in our life. So every situation that arises, we have to realize that this is something that only we can do. Only we have the ability to overcome it. And who knows what repercussions it has in this world and in the other world. We never know the full picture. But one thing we know, that if God put us in this situation, there is a reason for it. So when you go and you have your test in life, if you are able to comprehend this and think this, you, you're, you're leaps and bounds ahead of everybody else. And this is the famous mashal that I usually like you know, giving uh, with, when it regards to tests, is that you had this soldier. Uh, you know, let's use the, the example that, that we gave last time was a CIA agent. Somebody who really wanted to go and become a CIA agent. And he studied everything and he knew everything about the CIA. And he ended up getting into this elite, elite divisions. This like secret op division that they go into like spies and do things in the other, you know, in, into like, you know, other countries and, and whatever it is, like big stuff. And the, 
things that he heard was that if when you get into this division, they test you, they break you to make sure that you're not going to reveal any of the secrets of the U.S. government. And one day he's sitting in his bed. He's about a year past his, you know, he's already in the division. Thinks that he passed all the tests. And all of a sudden, people break into his home. He gets shot with a dart. You know, he gets, things get pulled. You know, there's like black sackcloth gets pulled over his head. He gets handcuffed and he gets pulled out before he's even able to think about doing anything. And he wakes up. There's a little light that's swinging, you know, in front of him. There's little water dripping. There's little dogs barking in the background. He's handcuffed in this like wooden chair, and he has he sees all this torturing device devices all in front of him, and he's like, "Oh man," he says, "I got captured by the enemy," and they went and they started torturing him, trying to take out information from him, and he was almost at the breaking point until all of a sudden he notices the shoes of the people that were torturing him. And he notices that those are CIA shoes. These are the shoes that the CIA, the government gives him. And all of a sudden, he realized that all this is a test. This he realizes is a test. That they, This is what they do. They try to kidnap you. And they try to put you in a situation. They want to see if you're going to break. They want to see if you're going to give up the secrets. And he almost gave it up. He almost gave But the second that he knew it was a test, all of a sudden he had that strength, that power to be able to overcome all the tests. If we in our life, have the ability to go and think for a second. And every test that we have, we have the ability to say, you know what, this is a test. We have the ability to go and pass the test with so much more ease. The trick is to remember that. The trick is to remember that life is full of tests. And once you know that life is full of tests, then it makes it all that easier for you to pass those tests. There was once a man who went to his rabbi and he said he had so many hardships, so many difficulties in his life. And the rabbi went over to him and he pointed at a picture and he says, tell me, what do you see when you look at this picture? And so this is a picture of Gadol Adol, the greatest rabbi of the generation who passed away. He says, this picture, this is the picture of the Gadol Adol, this is the picture of the greatest rabbi. And his rabbi told him, he says, no, 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 I want you to look closely. What do you see? And he says, it's a picture of the rabbi. He's like starting to think, is this an optical illusion? Is this a rabbi and an old woman backwards? If I turn my head around, maybe it's two vases looking this way. He's like trying to figure out what is this rabbi talking about. And he kept saying it's a rabbi. And the rabbi says, no, 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 look closer, look closer. And the student, the guy says, I don't know what you want from me, rabbi. He says, this is the greatest rabbi. There's nothing else other than him. I don't see any optical illusion. I don't see anything else. And the rabbi goes over and he says, if you look very, very close, you see the pixels, you see those little dots. He says, you know how this picture is made up? This picture is made up by millions and millions of little, little dots. And each dot is connected together, and that brings the picture. He says, you know, this rabbi, he became the greatest rabbi alive in the world when he was alive. But you know how he got there? He had a bunch of little tests, a bunch of little dots, a bunch of little black dots. And he overcome one test after another test, after another test, and after another test. And that brought him the ability to become who he became. And in life, we get that. We get those little tests. And by the way, these don't have to be huge, major tests. Sitting in traffic is a test. Going, you know, and, and having your little day-to-day difficulties, that counts as tests. That counts as difficulties. That has the ability to go and raise you to such a high level if we're able to go and encounter these with emunah, with bidachon, realizing that these come from God. There is so many aspects that we can gain from this. There was once a man who constantly has problems. You know, unfortunately, we, you know, we hear stories about like people that... One thing after another, nothing works out for them. Not the shiduchim, not the panasa, like suffering from all different angles. And a certain man, he was like, come on, God. He's like, why did you leave me? Why did you forsake me? Like, you can't throw me a bone. And he felt like he was completely, you know, like, like drowning in his problems. 
And as he cries himself to sleep, as he usually does, he has a dream. And in his dream, he's walking along this path, and he sees, you know, at part of his path, he sees there's two sets of footsteps. And then in certain parts of the path, there's only one set of, one set of footprints. And as he goes, he sees the path gets wider. There's two sets, then the path gets narrower, there's one set. And as he's contemplating, he's looking back at, the, at what he just walked, he realized that this is the path of his life. And the wide path, that's when things were going good, when things weren't so bad, that he saw two footprints. And when things were difficult, it was a narrow path, that's when he saw one set of footprints. And then he realized, he says, you know, one set of footprints is mine. The other set of footprints, that's God's footprints. And he goes and he thinks, he's like, God, why? He says, why is it when things are going good, I see your footprints, I see you. But when things are difficult, I see only one, only my set of footprints. He says, why weren't you with me in my troubles? Why weren't you with me just like you were with me in the good? Why weren't you with me in the bad? And God goes and responds to him. And he says, you know, you're mistaken. He says, when you see those two footprints, that's us walking side by side in the good times. But when you see that one set of footprints, that one set of just you walking, that wasn't your footprints. He says, that was my footprints. I was carrying you. When you felt abandoned and lost, that's when I was carrying you. When it was difficult for you in your life, I was there with you. In our tests in our life, we think that, oh, when we are having difficulties, God is running away from us. It's just the opposite. God is, so to speak, putting us on his shoulders and carrying us. All we have to do is take that test, that one test at a time, and be able to go and pass that. And, and whichever angle that you're able to go through it, realize and know that even though it's difficulty, and even though these are abilities to go and the, the, you know, the, the opportunities to give you tremendous amount of merit, you should also know that that's when God is closest to you. In 1967, during the Six-Day War, there was a, a you know bombs that fell in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem, and there was one bomb that fell directly on a large gas tank. And what happens when a bomb falls on a large gas tank? The gas tank immediately exploded, and it was a huge fire that engulfed the area, and the fire was spreading very quickly. But almost immediately after this explosion happened there was another bomb that fell onto a water tank, a much larger water tank. And this water tank spilled, the water spilled everywhere and took out the entire fire. Rav Shalom Shadwan, Shadwan goes and notes that he says, if God wanted to prevent his children from getting hurt, the bomb landed in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem, he could have very simply stopped the bombs. You know, we, we know plenty of stories of the, the miracles of how, you know, the Arabs shoot bombs and then God sends a little wind and the bomb goes into this ocean, the bomb goes into the desert, just, you know, flies away. So why, if God wanted us to be saved, very simple, send the bomb somewhere else. Why did the bomb fall on the fire, on the, on the gas tank, and then fall in the water and then take it out? And the answer is, is that sometimes God wants to show us His love. And it appears as if He's punishing us. But really it's demonstrating just how much he cares. Rav Shalom Shadwan goes and explains that many times we have our tests in our life and we see almost immediately afterwards there is sort of like everything works out. And all of a sudden everything, and we can't be like, oh, Baruch Hashem. But it's more than that. We have to stop for a second and be like, look how God is overseeing everything. And when we realize that even in the good, even though it was almost bad, but it went out to be good, that God is overseeing us with emunah, we have the ability to overcome our other tests, our future tests. Because when we come across troubles and problems, we're like, God, why are you doing this? Like, why are you doing this to me? If we realize, just like God was there in the good times, God is certainly there. He's certainly holding you in the bad times. When the Jewish nation left Mitzrayim, they left Egypt, 
the Pasuk in Shema, chapter 13, verse 4, it says that when did they leave? They left in Chodesh Ha'aviv. They left in the month of the spring. Ask them, Farshim, the, the sages goes and asks, I'll ask, why, do, why, do, why does the Torah need to point that out? Which month we left in? And the answer is, is because God was showing the, the, the month that they left was nice weather. It was a very nice weather. It was the springtime when people can go out. It's easy to travel. They have to travel through the desert. They have to travel through, you know, through lands. God made it that when they left Egypt, it was nice weather. We have to be thankful even for the nice weather that we have. And that was appropriate so to, for, you know, for them to travel. So in life, we have to open our eyes to see God's oversight in our good times and in our bad times. And when we see God in our life, when we have that emunah, that bitachon, we see God everywhere, that gives us the ability to overcome these tests. And when we overcome these tests, that give us tremendous amount of merit to get us even more brachot, even more blessing. And that is why when you have those people that have genuine emunah, genuine bitachon, genuine connection and close to God, they live in a state of security and peacefulness. They're, they're calm. They're relaxed. And they, you know, whatever throw God, God throws in their life, they're sort of, they're able to, to take it with peace. This is the power of emunah. The power of emunah doesn't only, you know, help you in, you know, the good times and the bad times. It helps you get through the bad times. It helps you overcome with the bad times. And not only that is a help you come, it gives with you tremendous amount of brachot that comes into it. Because even if you go and you pass your test, if you pass your test with emunah, that is all that more so that you get a tremendous amount of, tremendous amount of merit. And this is why Rabbi Victor Miller goes and asks a question like this. You look at Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, who we spoke about quite a lot in this uh, in this class, is you know got a lot of tests and he passed and he was you know achieved a tremendous amount of success spiritually and physically. But couldn't God make Avraham, or better yet, couldn't Avraham achieve the same amount of success and accomplish the same amount without the troubles? Like, why didn't God give him the son early? Why didn't God give him, like, why did all these tests? He could let, Abraham would have achieved the same amount the same way. And the answer says, Rabbi Victor Miller says, no. He says, this could be compared to good wine. When you go and you press the grapes to get the wine, if you press the grapes slightly, you'll get a little bit of wine. But there's still a lot more wine in those grapes. But when you squish it and you really collect that, all those juices out, you'll get tremendous amount of more wine out of those grapes. So to us and so to Avraham. When we are tested, God is pressing those grapes. And what comes out when we overcome that? We get that delicious wine that comes out. And you look at it, says Rabbi Victor Miller. It says Avraham was not subjected to constant pressure. He wasn't subject, subjected to constant tests in life. People think, okay, righteous people are constantly in tests. No. He lived, explains Rabbi Victor Miller, a very happy, successful life. He was wealthy and he was famous. However, Avraham was given you know, certain tests in one area. And then he was given tests in another area. He says, Rabbi Victor Miller, righteous people, they don't suffer in everything. You get areas of where you get tested. Even Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechai, he did not have to suffer all his life. It was only for part of his life. Only part of his life, he had those tests. And with those tests, after, as he overcomes it, he achieved his greatness. Abraham achieved his greatness. After Abraham passed the test, that's when Vahashem Berachat Abraham Bakol. That's when God went and blessed Abraham with everything. Because there's a special blessing when you overcome your tests. And you should know, you know, it doesn't, I want to repeat this again because it's very important. It's not only the big tests. If you didn't want to wake up to Minyan and now you wake up, that's a test that you passed. 
You didn't want to pray and now you're praying, you just pass the test. You're about to drink something and you make a bracha with kavanah, you just pass the test. You are thinking about what you should wear and you decide you're going to dress more modestly, you just pass the test. Even if yesterday you weren't dressing so modestly, but right now you passed it, that's it. You get that merit, you get that reward. The little tests in life can give us so much if we just utilize those opportunities for improvement. If we utilize those opportunities, if we capitalize on those opportunities, you don't even, you can't even imagine your growth. And even more so, if you utilize those opportunities to grow with Emunah, what, is, what does it mean to pass the test with Emunah? That means is the next time you have a test, be like, this is God sending me this test. This is God, I know that you love me, I know that you care about me, I know that this is a test, and I'm going to go and I'm going to work with it. You know that this is coming from God, and you overcome it, and you go, and you instead of use, utilizing that to go uh, to pull you away from God, you utilize it to get you closer to God, it, it makes the, that, the merit that you get, so much, it puts that merit on steroids. It's going to put you on a whole nother level. We'll finish off with one final thought, and that is that you look at Avraham Avinu, he went and he was constantly speaking about the greatness of God throughout the entire, the entire world. Whoever, whoever would listen, that's what he went and he, that's what his focus in life was to spread the name of one God. And he brought tens of thousands of people closer to God. But what happened of these people? Nothing remains. Well, what happened with them? There's nothing that remains you know, of these people. So what, it, it seems that it was almost, it went for nothing. The Gemara Tanit, page 7a goes, and says, from my students, I learned the most. When, and this will give another a proof, another little point to this, in Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 116, verse 10, it says, I had emunah because I spoke about it. The more that we speak about emunah, the more that you learn about emunah, it, in, it goes inside of you. Even though, you know, you're not going to always pass your test. You're going to fall. And you're going to realize, I didn't understand. I worked so much on my emunah. I worked so hard. You should realize and you should know that the emunah goes and, and it seeps inside of you. Rabbi Chaska Levitin goes and says that he spent his life teaching emunah. And at the age of 86, a great rabbi at the age of 86, you know what he said? He said, I've spoken so much about emunah and I'm not young. Yet even now, if I go without talking about it, and without learning about it, without giving myself hizuk, it only automatically becomes harder to have. This is why we focus, you know, now our focus is on emunah. We're going to bezat Hashem. The, the, the series is going to continue and expand for, for another short while because it's so important to constantly learn and constantly review and constantly implement on your emunah. Even if you fail in life, people think, okay, I fail, I didn't have emunah. I speak about so much emunah to other people and then I had some hardship and now I, you know, I, you know, I couldn't, you know, pass this test and be like, okay, what's it all worth? You should know that no, you should keep on learning and keep on studying it and keep on growing in it because it's a constant thing that you have to work on. And when you constantly work on this, everything in life becomes easier especially the tests in your life. And when we are able to go and overcome our tests, we'll see our bachot, we'll see our blessings, both in this world and especially in the next world. And with that, we'll open it up to any questions. You could post your questions on the chat box or you could unmute yourself. Or you don't have any questions, which can also very well uh, be. Give it another 20 seconds and then we'll close it off. All right. Looks like we are without questions. So with that, we'll wish everybody a 
amazing, successful week. Everything that you do. And with that, we'll bid you a good night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.